Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. Hey guys, welcome back to Storytime Slayer Podcast. I am your host, Haley Lira, and today we are going to be talking about a very brutal crime. This does involve the death of a child. With that being said, we are going to Crow's Nest Pass to a town called Blairmore, which is actually located in Alberta. Now, if you don't know where that is, that's okay. I didn't either. In layman's terms, we are actually going to Canada. But before I get started, I just want to say thank you so much for tuning into Storytime Slayer Podcast. I am your host, Haley Lira. If you haven't already, go give me a like, follow, share, review, you know, all the things to do to help this podcast grow. My Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok are called Storytime Slayer, and my Instagram is story underscore time underscore slayer. I do this podcast because I'm obsessed with true crime, and I just love talking about it, but to people who actually want to talk about it. You know what I mean? Okay, let's dive in. Monday morning, September 14th of 2015, Terry Blanchett hadn't been returning any of his dad's phone calls or text messages. So Bill actually decided to go drive to his son's house to check on him. Terry was a 27-year-old single father who shared custody of his two-year-old daughter, Haley, with the girl's mother, Cheyenne Dunbar. Terry and Cheyenne had tried to have a relationship a couple times, but they just couldn't work things out. So Terry and Cheyenne typically divided their time with Haley every two weeks. Two weeks with Terry, two weeks with Cheyenne. Cheyenne was in the middle of moving, though, so Haley had actually been with her dad a couple weeks longer than usual when tragedy struck. Bill said he got to Terry's and he tried knocking on the door, calling Terry's phone, hollering outside of his house, literally anything to get Terry to answer the door until he ultimately decided he needed to go inside. When he went inside, he could immediately see blood and he goes and finds Terry in his bathroom dead in a pool of blood. His throat had been cut. However, Terry had not been attacked in the bathroom. There were obvious drag marks from the bathroom leading to Terry's bedroom. By the look of Terry's bed, it was evident that he'd been attacked and killed there and then moved to the bathroom afterward. Bill starts frantically looking for his granddaughter, Haley, but she is nowhere to be found. There's blood in her crib and a smear of blood on her baby doll. So Bill calls the police. First thing the police do is immediately canvas the area to see if anyone saw or heard anything. And a neighbor actually had. He said he had heard the sound of someone walking around the house and the sound of a child. So he actually went outside and looked and he saw a white creeper style van, you know, like the big white commercial vans and the van sped off. So this was close to 3.30 a.m. Police confirm what the neighbor said he saw on CCTV surveillance, and they actually put out a bolo. At 2 p.m., an Amber Alert goes out for the missing girl, Haley, and the time is to believe 3.30 a.m. that night. The bolo includes a description of Haley, her name, a picture, and the white van. Meanwhile, a local business owner named Larry Sartinsky recognized the van as possibly being one from his own dry cleaning business, Prestige Cleaners. He checked the vans and saw one had actually been used without his permission the night before by his son, Derek Sartinsky. So Larry went and looked inside the van and he actually found blood. 
When Larry confronted his son, Derek, he said Derek was saying really odd things about the murder. So Larry decided he needed to call the police and he actually encouraged his son to talk to authorities. Missing children cases are really important to try and get ahead of quickly because the more time passes, the chances of finding the child alive decreases incredibly quickly. So when police arrive at their dry cleaners, they just tell Derek straight up, like, you're a suspect. Can you help us or tell us where little Haley is? Do you know what happened? They don't waste any time. They don't beat around the bush. Derek says he's not comfortable saying. So cops ask if Haley is alive and Derek responds, it's a possibility, I guess. And then he tells them she's in heaven. Cops ask Derek, how do you know? And Derek says, quote, because her spirit is floating around, end quote. So please go ahead and arrest Derek. But they don't tell Terry and Haley's family because they want to know for sure exactly what Derek knows or where Haley is without, you know, getting anybody's hopes up. Derek was extremely evasive during questioning. So the police actually bring in an interrogation expert to interview him. And Derek is saying really odd things like sometimes the devil takes control of him and his dreams. He doesn't know what happened. He didn't do it. He's just denying, denying, denying. So the interrogation person lets him go on a bit. Like he's very polite. Um, He like encourages Derek to tell the truth until finally he's like, you know what, Derek, we didn't just pick you for no reason. We didn't just say, oh, he did it. We actually have evidence against you. And after that, Derek finally tells them that Haley is in fact dead and the devil made him turn her to ashes. Derek agrees to show police where Haley was and she was at a campsite. In fact, at the same time, Derek was being escorted by police to the crime scene to show them what he did with Haley's body. Derek's cousin had actually called to report something suspicious at this campsite see the campsite was on some family property so I think it was like a family camping grounds it wasn't like open to the public if that makes sense so to get to this campsite there's a long gravel road you travel on before going there making it pretty secluded at the location there's a single wide mobile home and a travel trailer A fire pit that was actually still smoldering when they got there. And there's some park benches right next to the fire pit. Near the fire pit is a pot. A round metal one with a metal hook you could hold over a fire to cook with. And on this pot there are smears of blood. At the scene of the crime, Derek has literally no emotion about what happened and he decides to confess and tell police everything from start to end so i'm going to tell you ultimately what happened to terry and little Haley, and just warning it's gruesome so derek snuck into the house and he hit terry in the head with a crowbar while terry was sleeping then he strangled terry with a rope and sliced open his throat Next, he drug Terry's body into the bathroom and he wanted to actually drain Terry's blood so he could drink it, but he couldn't find the right container for that. Wow, that is awful. So he went and found Haley upstairs. She was still asleep in her crib and he took her. He drove her out to the campsite and once he got there, he started to light a fire with old books. He then strangled little Haley and dismembered her body. 
Then he drained her blood to drink. He cooked and ate parts of her body that he'd already dismembered and then discarded everything that was left into the fire as well as his clothes. Then he left the scene and he went home, took a shower and smoked weed in his apartment. While they were at the scene of the crime and Derek confessed, the interrogator asked Derek if he did any sort of prayer or if this was sacrificial in some way. And Derek said, yes, he did say a prayer for her. He couldn't quite remember what it was, but it was a kind of a traditional like dear, you know, dear father type thing. And he said that he did all of this because he thought it'd be good for him and give him strength. Derek said again, after he left, he went home, took a shower, smoked weed And remember, Derek is like 23, 24 at the time of these murders. So Derek still lives with his mom. He has a room at his mom's house, but sometimes he would stay in an apartment above his dad's dry cleaning business. So police block off the crime scene at the park and they set up a sort of tarp tent around the fire pit so the evidence wouldn't be disturbed without having to relocate it. In the fire pit, there are several bone fragments burnt to a crisp in a tooth found the actual bones though were unable to be tested for dna because they are too badly burnt they were a definite match though for a child between the ages of two and four and there were other things at the crime scene they could test for dna that did come back as a match to Haley. for example the blood found on the metal pot was a match to Haley's blood so why why terry and Haley? why did derek do this Apparently, Derek knew Cheyenne, Haley, and Terry. And according to Derek, he and Cheyenne dated for a period of time, about five months, when Haley was just an infant. But Cheyenne is adamant that they did not date and that they were only friends and they'd hang out like a couple times a week. And this went on just for about five months when Haley was just a baby. During those five months, sometimes Haley actually spent time with Derek too, which is so heartbreaking. Derek said he killed Terry because, one, he had a feeling that Terry had been abusive towards Cheyenne once upon a time, and also Terry gave Derek a dirty look once. As for why he killed Haley, he blamed the devil mostly, but I personally think he was reacting to Cheyenne's rejection of a romantic relationship with him. So back to the investigation. Police go to Derek's apartment, and for one, Ew. It is sparsely furnished, not decorated, and not picked up. He is a bare mattress on the floor kind of guy with no sheets. There's like no normalcy or order all the way down to the couch even being crooked in the middle of the damn living room. All around the house is lots and lots of knives. I'm talking lots of knives, y'all. Pocket knives, butcher knives, throwing knives. I mean, all kinds. The coffee table is written all over and in one spot it says... This is not the end, death only beginning. Aside from finding evidence in Derek's apartment that he's extremely strange and a slob, they also found evidence tying him to the murders. They found his boots in the living room with Haley's blood on them and a very cryptic, disturbing note. So this note was written on one of those really small spiral notebooks, the kind that you could like put in your pocket. On the top of this note, it said, medicine fresh in quotes. Then it says, quote, Hannah, Shy, Terry, and the hideous baby, end quote. All these names are scratched out and literally on the same piece of paper below this horrifying kill list is the church itinerary, 
the days and times that church services are at. So this list literally stops police in their tracks because five days prior to the murders of Terry and Haley, a 69-year-old woman named Hannah Mechatech had died in a random and senseless home evasion where she was beat and stabbed to death for no apparent reason. And until they saw this kill list with her name on it, police didn't know who killed her. So now they're thinking Derek did it. So let's talk about Hannah. A concerned neighbor had called police asking for a welfare check on her September 9th. I think she didn't come into work. And it was very unlike Hannah to not text or call if she wasn't going to go in. So when police entered the residency on September 9th, it was obvious that the woman had died in a brutal attack to which she clearly tried fighting off her attacker, but ultimately lost the fight. She died by blunt force trauma to her head. And it was a rather bizarre crime scene because police couldn't figure out who did it. And there seemed to be absolutely no motive. Like, this wasn't an obvious robbery. Um, they couldn't find anyone who really had that much animosity towards her. Hannah is said to have been very nice, a very kind person, an animal lover. She would do anything that she could to help people. Um, she had gone through a bit of an ugly divorce and recently inherited some money from her mother passing. But those original suspicions didn't actually lead to anybody that the police could have pinned down for doing this. However, Hannah was neighbors with Derek's grandparents, and Derek actually knew her and mowed her lawn. So there was a connection. After the arrests for the murder of Terry and Haley, they charged him with the murder of Hannah Mechatech as well. At first, Derek denies murdering Hannah, but after six months of his arrest while in jail awaiting trial, Derek ultimately admits to the killing of the elderly woman as well and says he actually didn't have a reason. He just did it just because. Just because. So it takes two years before this case goes to trial. And the really sad part is during those two years, no one really got the full story as to what exactly happened to Terry and little Haley and why. Um, he was arrested for two counts of first degree murder and one count of causing indignity to a body. So everyone was horrified because they didn't know exactly what he did to her, which is awful. I mean, that is heartbreaking and inhumane to me to have to go years without really knowing. But nonetheless, it all does come out in trial June of 2017. The trial was held about an hour and a half north of where the murders occurred. So the prosecution put on a whole case. They put the whole story out there, everything that I've told you in this podcast, and then some. They call multiple witnesses to the stand, including Terry's family and loved ones. Even Cheyenne takes the stand. It is a very heartbreaking case. Derek's lawyer, however, puts on no defense. And through half of the trial, Derek is literally smirking at his seat. They didn't plea insanity, temporary insanity, nothing. And the reality is that they really had no leg to stand on because, for one, Derek confessed to everything. For two, they had the evidence to prove he did it. And for three, after undergoing two psychological evaluations, Derek was deemed not insane or psychologically ill enough to use either of those as a legal defense. The trial lasted three weeks and the jury only deliberated for three hours before finding Derek guilty of all three counts. 
he was given three life sentences without parole. And in Canada, prisoners can apply for release, but Derek will be 97 before he's even eligible to apply. This case broke my heart and it just went to show you really don't know what could happen. Tomorrow's not promised. And for God's sakes, lock your door, lock your windows, take care of yourselves. You just never know. Something that really stood out to me about this crime is when Haley and Terry were buried, Larry, Derek's father, actually attended the burial site and grieved with the family. He was horrified at what his son had done. And apparently when Derek was growing up, he was a really sweet, kind boy. He loved his mom. He would do artwork. He was active in school. And then once he became a teenager, something just shifted in him. He became defiant. He wouldn't attend school. He dropped out. He quit going to church. He began an interest in kind of satanic-like or occult things. His mom specifically notes his interest in the Illuminati. However, Derek had started to attend church and kind of talk and hang out with his mom a little bit more. And she really thought that he was making a turnaround Nobody anticipated that this would happen. And I just found it really beautiful and touching that Derek's family hurt for the victim's family as well. And they all could kind of embrace and mourn this whole situation together. Also, Terry's family didn't like hold Derek's parents accountable for this crime. And they understood that his family hurt just as much as their family had. So anyway, guys, I thought that was really interesting. And um This is an awful crime, so thank you for listening, and I will talk to you next week. Bye.